This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Apsack, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. Some news to talk about. The DGA Award nominations are out. That's the Directors Guild Awards. Directors voting on that, and there were three directors nominated for the five slots in the drama series category. I guess directors love directors of Game of Thrones. Jeremy Podessa for Dragon and the Wolf. Matt Shakeman for Spoils of War, and Alan Taylor, the veteran, for Beyond the Wall. Dragon of Love, of course, uh, was the finale, and Beyond the Wall was the penultimate episode of this season. And, well, for some, not their favorite, but it wasn't how the episode looked or was directed. It was definitely how uh, some things went down in the episode. But just goes to show you that this Series when you when it's pulled off and, and I think all three of these episodes, particularly Spoils of War, that had the most epic sequence of the whole season. It is uh, it's shiny, it's it pops, and people like it. Uh, the season, the way the season played, of course, couldn't factor into the Emmys, uh, Golden uh, Golden Globes over this past weekend. Game of Thrones not much of a presence there other than the cast showing up. Uh, I think it had a very small amount of nominations. Kind of not the season for the awards. And it's won its fair share of awards. So I like that these directors have been kind of uh, individualized here. They've been uh, spotlight. The spotlight is on them now. And that's good. That's that's what I feel is pretty just for season seven of Game of Thrones. Spoils of War was, I think, one of my favorite episodes of the series. Uh, pulse pounding indeed. So Matt Shekman did a great job and followed up with the uh, quieter episode, East Watches. Uh, an episode we've been discussing the last couple days here on Daily Thrones. Alan Taylor, he's been around the Game of Thrones block, so no surprise. And again, beyond the wall, especially with the, the death of Viserion and, and, and the battle that went on there, it was a well-directed episode, whether or not you agreed with some of the plot that went down in it. You can't fault him for that. And the Dragon and the Wolf was a for a season finale. One with a lot of answers. It wasn't so much a wrap-up, I think, because the season was short. And so there was a lot of important moments in that. And the sequence with the white presented to Cersei was a great sequence, one of my favorites. So Jeremy Podessa deserves that nomination there. That's the news uh, of Game of Thrones Season 7 as we look towards Season 8. Still a lot to talk about, including our favorite moments from the last two episodes uh, beyond the wall dragon the wolf or any moment you want to talk about in game of thrones let's do it here on daily thrones hey ken so i have a series of little moments i'd like to mention and they all deal with danny's reaction to john quote taking a knife in the heart for his people in the queen's justice john stops davos when he starts to mention john gave his life and danny and Tyrion share a look that didn't escape their notice Later in the episode, Danny brings it up again, and while Tyrion dismisses it, Danny isn't convinced. She starts to seem more intrigued by John after that. Then in Eastwatch, Danny asks John about it directly. John tries to brush it off, and Danny seems almost disappointed when he does. John's ashamed. He doesn't feel worthy of the second chance he's been given and doesn't yet understand his purpose, which he perhaps realizes in the critical conversation with Beric later. 
Then in Beyond the Wall, after Danny nearly loses John, we get the payoff. She actually sees his scars, these large ragged wounds over his heart that no human could have reasonably survived. Everything falls into place for Danny there. Her look says it all. She's already started to fall in love with him, but this is the moment that crystallizes just how much John's willing to sacrifice himself for others, even if it means giving his life. To borrow Danny's line from their intimate conversation at John's bedside, you have to see it to know. Now she knows. Great observations and moments from Jared about John and his scars and what it means to Danny and how it helps Danny fall in love with John or at least confirm in her heart what she's feeling for him. They'll work that out later, what the, the repercussions of that, or maybe they won't. Maybe, again, maybe they're happy with it, even after they learn the truth of who they are. But yeah, the John and his scars and his damage and, and, and the leftover, the, uh, the, the, the lingering effects of his death were very interesting to me in season seven. And Jared, I think you, you really touched upon what it means to John, that he's not worthy of the second chance. It's always going to be a burden. He's always going to remember that in trying to do good things, he was killed for it. He was murdered in cold blood by those he trusted, those he was trying to help and save. Uh, yeah, that's got to stick with him. That's got to be something that is hard to just get over. So the the scars have big meaning. And yeah, for Danny, it really kind of pulls back the curtain on who John is. She does come at him hard early on, and with good reason. I understand it. Danny, I actually love Danny in Season 7. I love Danny in the beginning of Season 7. I think she's learned a lot of lessons. She's uh, still a tough cookie. She has a protective wall around her, and uh, I, I like what like the, we talked about the moment with Varys. You know, threatening him, but also trying to make sure he is loyal because she wants him to be loyal. Uh, Danny in season seven is all of the past seasons, including the successes and including the mistakes, kind of rolled up into uh, uh, a, a fully formed queen. And then comes John, and John kind of causes a bit of problems, causes some frustration. And she, you know, other than the, you can make the jokes of just, you know, the, the longing glances in the cave and all that stuff. Uh, what is it about Jon Snow and caves? I don't know, but... You know, there's all that stuff. That's on the surface. I think what Jared's talking about here, the scars, John's sacrifice, what it means to him and what it shows her uh, are very, very key to the ongoing narrative between those two. We'll see how it plays out in season eight. Hey, Ken. So the next scene I wanted to talk about was from my least favorite episode from season seven, Beyond the Wall. But there's still a lot of great stuff in it, and there's so many great talks in the beginning of the episode but the moment i want to talk about is when Torment's talking to john and he brings up mance he says mance was a great man the king beyond the wall who wouldn't bend the knee how many of his people died for his pride and that kind of struck i was a little like taken aback by that at first when he said that i was like wow and i was almost a little almost a little upset because i loved mance but thinking about it i can understand looking back now the Torment looks back on it and feels hey I don't really think he did do the right thing for his people because what would have been better for them would have been him being alive because he was our leader. So it was a moment where he reflects on someone he does love, but, you know, realizes he may have made a mistake. Yeah, Eric, let's talk about that Tormund Mance moment. 
in Beyond the Wall. There's some great stuff there when the Snow Team 6 is walking north. Uh, some what I would call old school Game of Thrones. We've talked about that here on Daily Thrones where we got to enjoy the walk uh, and, and the plot didn't move that fast. And I, again, will argue different conversation that the fast-moving plot in Season 7 was because the story was about the destination more than the journey. But here was a, a time we got to stop and enjoy the journey. And that was a key moment with Tormund. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Eric. A lot of us love Mance. I love Mance. You love Mance. I know. And the... The thing about Mance is uh, he was just in a lot of decisions. He was he was a great man in a lot of ways and a great leader, but he just didn't bend the knee. And at the time, I think it was important for the character of Jon Snow and the development of Jon Snow. And you had to respect Mance. It was uh, his way of going out the way he wanted to go out. And, and I completely respect that. But it was interesting. And I understand what you're saying where you're a little upset, Eric, because... That's Mance we love. And that season five moment is an important moment for Jon Snow. It talks about the choice of the free folk. That's all they wanted. That's all that Mance wanted for the people. It, it was a great addition or, or explanation of Mance's character and, and his motives. And it helped form Jon Snow. So here's Tormund saying, we're the free folk. Could have bent the knee. We didn't care. We just wanted to live. How many people had to die for that decision? Interesting, interesting take. And you're right. If you step back from it, it's important for characters in these type of shows. Um, it's it's important to 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 learn and grow, to change, to make mistakes. That's why I personally don't want to start that discussion here. But I, why I personally love the Last Jedi and Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi, someone who a hero who made mistakes. Mance was a hero to many and might have made a mistake at the end, though it was a mistake that was true to who he wanted to be, who his being, being, very being was, his very existence, what the point was, what he was trying to, to, to get across. So he goes out the way he wants it. Um, it. Well, fire wasn't the way he wanted, but he goes out and dies doing what he wants, so to speak. But that, that was something that other characters then can learn from. And Jon Snow did. He didn't just easily bend the knee to Daenerys Targaryen, but that had to be in his head. Am I being Mance? Am I going to be so stubborn to up, up, uphold to some principles or standards that I'm kind of putting there myself, in large part because of what Mance did? Is that going to cost me? Is it going to cost me like it did Mance and a lot of the free folk? It's interesting layers to the character development. So I'm glad it was there. I'm glad Tormund was the one. He, much like Jon Snow learned from the Wildings as his time with the Free Folk, I think Tormund has learned from the time, his time with the Southerners, the true Southerners. It's an interesting, interesting little thing. This is why we talk about these little moments. It's why they're there. The small, quiet moments buried beneath the big fire and brimstone of Game of Thrones. These are the things that build characters and story. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. So maybe I'll be the deciding vote for this one. Um, all things considered, as much as I like the Dothraki, I'm going with the Rohirrim. Uh, here's why. The Dothraki fight like the Mongol horde did in northern and southern China, which is um, large groups uh, under one banner, one large tribe, and then several tribes would get together and go to war. The Rohirrim are English and French cavalry. 
the English and French cavalry had better tech and better tactics. All things being equal, the Dothraki have speed because their horses are lighter, but because the horses are lighter, they're going to tire faster. The Rohirrim have um, uh, better discipline and better stamina. They could ride three straight days, uh, very little rest, and then go into battle uh, against 100,000 orcs and elephants. Uh, all things being equal, it's the Rohirrim for the win. Thanks. All right, it looks like we have a deciding vote, and I would want it to come down to Kevin from Three Cocktail Questions because he always he loves that war strategy, loves that military strategy, loves really breaking it down. And this is a question, the Rohirrim versus the Dothraki, who would win in a battle, fair fight, even playing field? This was submitted to me on Twitter, too, by the way, using the hashtag Daily Thrones Wolfgang Koppenhofer. Uh, or, or Copenhagen sent it to me, and uh, you guys can do that too. Reach out on Twitter. I think we might do the question of the day, question of the week, if we want to have some time to discuss it using that hashtag Daily Thrones on Twitter. Find me at Ken Knapsack. Um, but Kevin, with the final deciding vote here, it's Rohirrim. I think maybe, you know, there's some great reasons, Kevin. I think maybe in the end, that discipline is the thing that would get them to victory. It would be a tough, bloody fight. Any way you slice it. Pun maybe intended. We'll see you guys tomorrow here on Daily Thrones.